Janelle Simmons, CEO of Landlords New York, and I am so excited to welcome you to our podcast, which is intended to be an extension of our website so that we can bring you need-to-know real estate information on the go, because it's New York City and we're all in a hurry to be somewhere. My guest today is Michael Landsman with Holman O'Hara. Michael, introduce yourself to our audience. Tell us a bit about yourself and your practice. Well, well, thank you very much. It's uh, nice to be here Um, and a pleasure to be part of this podcast. Um, I've been working as an attorney in New York City uh, since uh, about 1998. I started with a very large firm, Robinson, Silverman, Pierce, Aronson, and Berman. I worked in the real estate department and also the governmental relations department uh, for Mayor Koch, who was a partner there. And I saw the need very early on to try and help people that were real estate investors with not only their real estate interest, but their uh, trust in estates planning. So over the last uh, two decades plus, I've been focusing my practice on that. And it's been uh, a, a great pleasure to help uh, these clients, and I've learned a lot not only through helping people, but seeing my own kids grow up. I have twin daughters, uh, and watch them grow up, and watch uh, and see how they change, and see how that generation and the next generation, my nieces and nephews' generation. You know, having all that experience really helps not only uh, with my with my clients' immediate needs, but also kind of the background of really what's driving this, which is the family dynamic, right? It's sort of understanding the psychology, and there's a lot of psychology when it comes to estate planning, right? So um, that's um, that's what we do. And we have uh, offices here in, in Midtown, uh, where we moved down from the Gray Bar building. We've been here for just over a decade, and we're going to be here for at least another 15 years. And we really look forward to working with the real estate community at large uh, to help them with their trust in estates and their transactional uh, matters here at the firm. Thank you. So we are talking estate planning strategies for real estate investors. What are some of the differences? Let's say I have a, a home, maybe a vacation home versus a real estate portfolio what? Why differentiate in real estate investor estate planning for real estate investors versus uh, traditional estate planning? Okay, well, that's a very good question, and the unique the unique feature of real estate enables you to take advantage of certain techniques which are unavailable to other uh, types of investing. For example, uh, ten thirty one like kind exchanges are available to real estate investors, there would not be available, for example, to people who invest in stocks and bonds uh, or um, even personal property. One of the, th- one of the um, characteristics of Donald Trump's tax cut plan was to eliminate the personal property uh, exemption uh, from the Internal Revenue Code. So in other words, real estate investors can still uh, use the proceeds of the sale of real property in a like-kind exchange to defer the income tax that would be due, but people who invest in art or automobiles or other items of personal property are now excluded from that. So it's important to understand the characteristics of real estate and how they 
uh, are available to real estate investors in the state planning. Uh, and um, uh, that's, that's, the primary, that's the primary reason. What are some of the challenges associated with helping a client with their estate planning? Well, the biggest challenge is getting people to focus on setting up a simple plan and doing that within a discrete timeline. Because there's no deadline per se for your estate plan, people tend to put it off and delay making decisions. And unfortunately, the decisions really never get easier. In fact, sometimes they get harder. So what I always try and do is say, look, let's set a plan to get this done in three months, a basic plan. Then you can come back over time and change it. But getting that baseline plan, I find, is a challenge. Accountants have a great advantage over lawyers because they have to speak with their clients at least once a year about their income tax returns, right? And the government provides you with deadlines for taxes. The government does not provide you with a deadline for your estate planning. That, the deadline for that is the day you pass away, which people don't really want to think about. So um, uh, that's, that's really one of the challenges, the, bi- the biggest challenge we face. And also it's the emotional component. A lot of people have worked very hard to build their real estate fortunes. And they have uh, misgivings about leaving it to their children or their nieces and nephews or charitable contributions because they're so close to building the wealth in the first place that they often um, have difficulty thinking about giving it away. Two things so. are certain, death and taxes, Death and right? taxes, exactly. Unfortunately, right. it's, it's, a, it's a natural part of life for all of us. That's right. But, uh, um, we actually just, just finished a, a seminar with some of our members, and you gave a great presentation. Thank you. And some of those, you gave some great examples talking about some if you don't have a plan in place or a trust set up. Like, could Correct. you just briefly address some of the, the obstacles that could happen to your family or your loved ones after your death if oh, sure. you don't take some of these precautions ahead of time? Uh, abs- absolutely. In fact, we have a recent example where a woman decided not to engage an attorney to help her uh, with an estate plan, and instead she uh, transferred uh, a third of her holdings to each of her adult children. So in other words, she's merely filed deeds uh, from herself to herself and her two uh, children. And that resulted in an estate tax bill of about $17 million because there was zero planning involved. If she had transferred the properties to an LLC and then transferred some of those interests to her adult children, she could have taken advantage of what they call valuation discounts, which are discounts given uh, to assets that are held either in an entity or with an entity with different partners. And the government actually gives you specific guidelines on, in many cases, how to save money on taxes. But you can't uh, avail yourself upon any of these advantages if you don't do anything in advance. Uh, the other um, big problem with intestacy is that roughly 50% of your assets would go to your children. 
Now, that might not be a bad result. Uh, however, from a tax perspective, you're losing the ability to give 100% to your spouse, which is tax-free, or even to set up a credit shelter trust or marital trust for the then applicable exemption. Even a simple will will help you avoid that or greatly minimize an estate tax uh, bite that uh, wouldn't ordinarily be there. Um, intestacy is definitely not the way you want to go. The other problem with intestacy, of course, are the, the uh, genealogy reports that need to be done. Uh, we've had a lot of cases where uh, out, out of wedlock children have showed up to make a claim to estates. Uh, people that had been adopted or hadn't been adopted trying to lay claim to estates. Um, and uh, those problems can all be avoided with a valid will. It's really the only way to be certain. Yeah, the only way to be certain. Are carried out. Exactly. It's the only way, and it's certainly the most tax efficient way. Um, so I would, I would urge everyone to at least have a basic estate plan in place. And you can always change it and improve it uh, over time. Uh, and revisit it every five years, let's say roughly, unless the law changes drastically. Um, but that th that's really the key. Those are the key uh, problems. Absolutely. Your firm here, Holman O'Hara, yeah. you really have, you, you specialize in estate planning and administration. What, how did that come about or why is it that you really chose to to go in this direction? Well, what we found and, and what I found uh, after I left law school was I found that lawyers very quickly uh, fell into buckets. And I should say they jumped into buckets. In other words, real estate lawyers like to just do real estate. And um, trust in estates lawyers like to just do trust in estates. That sounds like a real estate problem. And I saw that actually having a general background in those two disciplines was enormously beneficial to clients because clients don't really want to hear, go talk to someone else. Mm -hmm. They're talking to you. They want you to understand their problems. They're real estate people and they're mortal, right? Those are the two things that they all have in common. They own real estate and they're mortal. So they all have a very similar set of concerns, right? I haven't met an immortal client yet. So, um, um, the, and, and for that reason, and very early on, and, and, and brokers and other lawyers started to refer business to me because they understood that we know enough about, and you know, since that time we've added uh, layers of uh, associates and, and partners with specialties in those areas. But um, I'm still sort of the head chef, if you will, overseeing the practice, and um, it's enormously beneficial and efficient for clients to talk to someone like myself with my team, um, because we're not sending them down the road to talk to two or three other people. Uh, everything's done in-house uh, in, in, in a custom-efficient uh, manner, and we've, we've helped transfer uh, portfolios to, to two and three generations and um, uh, work w very well with the accountants. And if we need a tax attorney, we can bring one in. But for most of our clients, we provide the services that they need. And they're not really so impressed with a large law firm with offices in foreign cities. They're New York City real estate people. And that's what we do. So they're quite happy with that. And um, we're reasonable and efficient. 
and we like to think that we can help pe uh, people in Maui's with those two characteristics, right? Real Absolutely. estate and mortality. <laughs> is there a, a best time or when is the most opportune time for investors to, to revise their estate plan? Well, I would say everyone should have a look at their estate plan when something major happens in their life. Of course, if they uh, lost a, a spouse or uh, something of that nature, or they inherited money, um, either expectedly or unexpectedly, uh, that's a great time uh, to revisit. Uh, from a long-term planning perspective, I would say the next five years are really critical. I, I refer to that as the maximum tax savings opportunity zone. Why? Because in 2026, the current law is scheduled to sunset back down to the levels that we saw in 2017 before the, before the Tax and Jobs Act. Uh, and what that means is the current federal credit will be cut in half. So instead of $11 million and change, it will go back down to uh, less than $6 million dollars. But there are no clawbacks for gifts or other planning done during this time period. So you really have a unique set of five years here, let's say, it's 2020 before we know it, right? Three months away. You really have a, a unique opportunity. I think regardless of who our next president is, and if it is Donald Trump for another four years, let's say, the following administration historically s would swing back the other way. So the chances are, and the general thinking in the uh, state planning community is um, that these credits will, will go back to the way they were. Um, of course, uh, you know, that could change, but that's what most people are generally thinking. So I would say this five-year period is a great time uh, to, to look at your plan and see whether it can be tweaked and improved. Yeah. Absolutely. What are some common mistakes that you've seen? What are some of those common mistakes that real estate investors make when it comes to their estate planning? Obviously, your job is to correct and right. identify exactly. those. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I mean, one of the one, the biggest mistake, of course, is not doing anything. Absolutely. Right. I mean, that is the absolute worst mistake. Uh, we had a, a client who was my age uh, pass away several years ago, suddenly on a mountain bike in Dutchess County. He had about a $15 million estate, and half of it, $7.5 million, went to his children, and it was taxed at 47%. So that fact that he did nothing cost his children uh, about 35 or $4 million in tax, which is a really terrible mistake. Yeah. The second mistake they make is they don't revise the documents. So in other words, we had an instance where uh, a woman had uh, passed away, and she never revised her estate planning documents. And her, the primary beneficiary under her will was her predeceased ex-husband. And she did not include her favorite charity, which she had talked about including. And um, so obviously the charity missed out. Uh, and uh, the will actually followed the path 
that she had set forth 20 years ago instead of the current path. Those yeah. conversations don't hold up in the court of right. law. Right. Well, they, yeah, <laughs> generally you're correct. They do not. So those are two common mistakes, doing, doing nothing uh, and then failure to... to um, uh, to revise, and the third, the third most common mistake really is, people don't often sit down and have a conversation with someone like me, and see what the possibilities are. And I think part of that is a uh, fear factor. They don't really feel comfortable talking about their estate plan. Um, some of it may be a cost factor, although I typically offer at least an hour of free consultation. Uh, and when I'm able to explain to people, you know, you could set up a charitable remainder trust to benefit your class of friends for their lifetimes, and the rest of it would go to charity. They say, oh, I've never heard of that. So in other words, some of it's an educational, um, uh, a lack of education or uh, the question of, Education. And this is this is not common knowledge. I mean, I'm learning stuff all the time, and I've been doing this for 20 plus years, right? I go to the Heckerling Conference every year in January in Orlando for a week, listen to the lectures about this, and I'm constantly learning. So, I can see why there's this knowledge gap, if you want to call it that, between what someone like me could see and help with, and what the average person would would see. Uh, there really isn't any sort of common sense about it, right? In other words, it's a specialized, right. it's a specialized uh, field of study. That actually and, leads to my next question, right? which you, you sort of alluded to, which is how is talking about your firm and you specifically, this is your area of expertise, how is your approach different? You talked about the, the learning in the summer. Right, well, I, look, I, I, I think my approach is different um, because... I'm willing to take the time off the clock to really get to know someone to the point where I feel like they're comfortable in discussing the very issues that's prevented them from dealing with their estate plan. So, for example, I had a, a client or a prospect call me a couple of years ago. Um, she didn't want to leave her apartment and she didn't want to pay a retainer fee. I didn't ask her for a retainer fee, but she said, you're not going to charge me, are you? And I said, no, Mrs. McGillicuddy, I'm not going to charge you. I'm happy to come meet with you at your... Uh, she lived in a multifamily. She lived in the parlor floor of a multifamily. And we sat and we chatted for an hour. I got to know really what her concerns were. And she said, thank you very much. She retained us to her estate planning. And... We actually got it done in a reasonable amount of time because I was willing to take the time to go meet with her, you know, and a lot of attorneys aren't willing to do that. Um, and um, I think that's a huge difference, you know, meeting people in their apartment if that's what they prefer. I, Frankly, I prefer people come to my office. We have a beautiful office here. Right. <laughs> you know, it's easier for me, but um, I'm happy to go meet with people at their office and somehow that personal touch, that one-on-one -on -one conversation. Depending on their level of comfort. Depending on their level of comfort. Um, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a straight shooter, moved here with nothing. Uh, you know, 30 years later, I have a successful law practice. They respond to that, right? They respond to that. Um, um, they like the fact that I've, I work for Mayor Koch. 
uh, whether they liked them or hated them. You know, they feel like if I was smart enough to get hired by Mayor Koch uh, after law school, then I'm smart enough to figure this out for them, uh, which is generally true, although I have smart people working with me. As you know, you've met Haya uh, and some others. Um, but I think that's what really sets certainly me apart is my willingness to, to get to know people and to, and to, to face those personal family questions. I'm not afraid of those questions. I'm fascinated by those questions. It's interesting to get to know people in that way and to try and solve an emotional and legal and financial problem all wrapped up into one, which is an estate plan, right? It's really, you know, it, it's a complicated, uh, it's a complicated thing to, uh, uh, to, to try and unravel sometimes, but um, I think that makes the difference, honestly. It uh, sounds old-fashioned, but it's true. It's the, it's the personal touch. It's the willing to listen. And I think people, I mean, they respond to that. And right? you've had a successful 20-year yeah, track record. Yeah, 20-year plus track record, and I'll be here for another 15 or 20, depending. I mean, I enjoy it. So, right? Right. You enjoy what you do, you keep doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. So... Um, I realize that the reason that you're in, that you have a practice and that um, that clients come to you is that it is such a complicated issue. Some of the complexities, and I realize we can't go into a lot of the intricacies involved, but could we perhaps a, a high level address some of the more or most cost effective estate planning strategies? Sure, sure. The most cost effective estate planning strategies are probably uh, trusts in conjunction with uh, the valuation discounts, depending on where the numbers fall. Uh, we're big proponents of trust because we see the value in uh, the continuity of managing the assets, making sure there's a successor trustee available, uh, making sure there's somebody also involved with the, with the properties. Um, uh, it's very often the case that people are reluctant um, but once they get comfortable with the idea of having their assets in a trust, then they, then they see the benefits of it. And, of course, there are longer-term benefits when it comes to administration and so forth. But even the short-term benefits, uh, it can be immensely rewarding. And that's even aside from the fact uh, that some people would be willing to go with irrevocable trust, which, of course... Uh, if planned properly, will remove assets from someone's estate. Um, but that in conjunction with the valuation discounts, uh, valuation discounts very simply are a discount and interest in property received based on how it's held. So when you're doing uh, an estate tax return or when you're planning for someone to be gifting we will have a valuation expert value the percentage of the entity that's owning the property that's being transferred or that's being held. So some of those valuation discounts can be as much as 30%. So a 30% tax savings can translate into huge estate tax savings. 30% is a lot. Right? We can save people millions of dollars for pennies on the dollar. It's not that expensive to do that. A valuation report 
will run several thousand dollars, and a trust uh, will also be a few thousand dollars. But when it comes to cost effectiveness and re, you know the results, uh, the financial results of the investment, it's it's, it's off the charts. Yeah, it's it's off the charts. Even even avoiding the probate process can be huge. Because if, if, if something is in a trust, if your assets are in a trust and the trust is able to continue operating and not subject to the probate court, once it's in probate, if there are any issues, if someone uh, elects to depose the attorney drafts person or the witnesses or otherwise objects to the will, we're talking about tens of thousands of dollars in attorney's fees and court costs that can all be avoided very simply. So anybody that has a, uh, a hint of a disgruntled beneficiary should seriously consider holding their assets in a, in a revocable trust, um, which will often result in avoiding a lot of heartache and financial consequences. Of course, it's not uh, bulletproof, so to speak. There's always, you know, this is America. People love to litigate in America, but it's certainly very effective at, at minimizing that risk. Um, another thing that we like to see people do, of course, is use a like-kind exchange in conjunction with their estate planning. Why? Because you're able to defer the income tax that would ordinarily do upon the receipt of the income from the sale of the asset and defer that into the replacement property. In other words, you're deferring that tax obligation through the like-kind exchange, and then the basis is stepped up when someone passes away. So as long as you continue to use a 1031 exchange, you will continue to defer until you can no longer uh, sell the property when you pass away, your basis in the property is stepped up to the date of death value, which is hugely powerful. In other words, if you plan properly, you will never pay the income tax on the sale of the asset because it's stepped up to the date of death value. And that's a tremendous advantage uh, that's provided pursuant to the tax code. Uh, I can't overstate the importance of that. In fact, in the, in, in, the, in the trade, we call it swap till you drop. In other words, as long as you keep exchanging, mm -hmm. you will not have to pay the income tax on the capital gain. And that's, that's tremendously beneficial. Uh, certainly now what we're seeing with the generations that are coming up, let's say the 20s and 30s-year-olds, we're hearing how difficult it is for that generation. So it's even more important to plan properly so you can preserve that wealth to the next generation. Absolutely. Right. It's very hard. I mean, it's very hard for people like myself in my 50s to get started in the real estate business, let alone if you're in your 20s. Right. You really have to have the capital. Uh, so therefore, you really want to do what you can to preserve it for your children and grandchildren. That's great yeah. advice. As we wrap this discussion, uh, for those listening, of course, if, if any of these points hit home with you, we certainly encourage you to contact Michael and we'll have all of his contact information um, in our notes uh, in the podcast. Are there any final thoughts, any any final words of advice that you could offer our audience as it, as it relates to estate planning strategies well, for real estate investors? I, I, I think that the best advice I can have is for 
them to try and educate, spend a little time and educate themselves. I mean, I thought the seminar this morning was a great example of that. It's an informal setting, people, a lot of great questions, um, and very bright audience, by the way, terrific questions, engaging, come to a few seminars, they learn a lot, and they, then they sit down with somebody like me, and I mean, you don't have to go to the seminars, but we're happy to have you come, um, and then they'll, they'll say, you know what, something you said in a seminar or something I heard on this podcast really prompted me to think, you know, just give them a call or my partner hire a call and sit down with us and, um, and we'll help you out. It's a, just really, it's, so it's an educational process. And um, I certainly think that there's um, not uh, there's, there's no single tip except that. In other words, just try and uh, open your mind to get a little more information about the different possibilities. And once you feel more comfortable having a conversation, sit down with us. We'll find out what your goals are and we'll help you get there. That's excellent yeah. advice yeah. for our Landlords New York members listening. Michael is one of our newest experts, so you can, of course, reach out to him directly through the website. Um, again, it, I think that's that's wonderful advice is to just take that first step, reach out, get some information, and protect yourself, protect your family. You've worked hard for what you right. what Absolutely. you have, and, yeah. and you deserve to hold on to that. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank okay. you very much for joining us. Michael Landsman with Holman O'Hara, and thank you for joining us to our audience for listening. Be sure to like and follow Landlords New York on social media as well as landlordsnewyork.com. Thank you.